much. Wonderful. You may be seated. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. How about you? I love to be in worship services as Doug leads us here. That when we talk about God, we know what God we're talking about, right? I love it when people say and sing the J word, Jesus, all right? Because that is the name of the Lord our God the Son of God, and that's the reason we celebrate this wonderful season, miracle that God is with us, always with us. We're going to celebrate that promise this morning now as we turn in God's Word. I encourage you to do that. We're grateful for all of you here, those that are joining in the hub and those that are also By way of live stream, we're all coming together by the Spirit of God into God's presence. And let's open our hearts to what he has to say this morning. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 17. If you turn there, please. Genesis chapter 17. As we continue this Advent series that we're calling The Promise. The Promise. In January of... 1999, Susan and I were uh, blessed to uh, make a missionary journey uh, over to teach some in India and also in Thailand. Incredible, incredible trip. And we were flying by way of Europe and there was a layover in a little town, maybe you've heard of it, called Paris, all right? <laughs> and I don't mean Kentucky. This is, uh, but so we extended, of course, the layover a few days. You know, you don't have a chance that often to go to such a lovely city. So we did that and we were able to see some of the, the sites uh, and uh, see the Eiffel Tower. I got an incredible view of the Eiffel Tower uh, lying on the sidewalk when I slipped and fell. And uh, (laughs) it has an amazing, amazing sight. (laughs) But we were able to see Notre Dame. But one of the places I wanted to go was uh, several miles by bus ride, but we made that together to a place called the Cathedral of St. Denis. We would say St. Denis, but the Cathedral of St. Denis is where all of the kings of France from the 900s all the way through the history of France uh, crowned and also uh, buried there as well. And so we were able to make our way over that ancient cathedral and walk through it. And while we were there with the sunlight beaming in through those uh, windows. I was just trying to imagine what it was like in that autumn day in 1715. In September 1715, the famous King Louis XIV uh, passed away. He was the longest reigning king and still or monarch in all of European history. He reigned for 72 years, became king when he was five years of age. Under him, the 
nation of France reached its zenith in power, wealth. He was fabulously wealthy, built an incredible, incredible site of the Palace of Versailles. Maybe some of you have seen that or maybe been able to read about it. But this king was so great that he was referred to as the Sun King. The Sun King. Well, in the autumn of 1715, he died. And a funeral like none other was held at this cathedral of St. Denis. The crown rulers of Europe had come. All the royalty, nobility. They were gathered in that ancient cathedral. The bishop who was speaking well-known preacher, Bishop Massillon. He climbed up into the pulpit by the stairs, and there in that entire cathedral was just one candle, one candle, a taper candle, at the head of the coffin of Louis XIV. And the bishop climbed up into that pulpit and then his voice came out of the darkness to all of those crowned heads of Europe and the royalty and here was his first sentence only God is great only God is great and we affirm that this morning don't we let's affirm it together let's say it right now only God is great. Affirm it again. Only God is great. He is great in every quality. As a matter of fact, God defines greatness. He is great. He's great in his faithfulness. One of my favorite statements that's made about God in all the Bible it says this. He is the God who cannot lie. Isn't that awesome? Incapable of lying. The God who cannot lie. So when God makes a promise, he keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. He is incapable of breaking a promise. And the Bible is filled with hundreds and hundreds of promises of God. And with this Advent, I'm wanting us to focus on one promise. One promise. And it's what I would call the promise that runs through the Bible. It's the promise, listen carefully, of one who is truly the Son King. Not S-U-N, S-O-N. The promise of the Son King is the promise that runs throughout the Bible. Now, the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at this promise of a Son as we've walked through some of the statements of the Old Testament that prom promise us about a son. And let's just review a little bit. You remember that it was in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden 
that God first made the promise of a son who was coming, uh, coming from the woman who would be the wounded warrior who would crush the serpent, overcome the curse. First mention, first promise in the Bible. The first mention of the gospel, a son that is coming. Genesis chapter 4, the promise goes to another son of Adam and Eve, the line of Seth. We looked at that. Then chapter 6 through 9, the promise comes down through Noah. In chapter 9, verse 26, this promise of a covenant blessing comes down through one of Noah's sons, Shem, who is said to be the one who will conquer Canaan, the Canaanites. And then in chapter 12, as we saw last week, the promise comes down to a man by the name of Abraham, who at the age of 75 is called to leave his land and to journey into a land that God will give him. And he and his wife, Sarai, make this journey. God promises to raise up from this childless couple a multitude of descendants that no one can number. And through these descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That promise waits 25 years. And God makes the promise again and again. And finally, at the age of 99, Abraham just laughs about it. And God, in a sense, says, you just named the baby. Because you'll be Isaac. Laughter. And about that time the next year, when, I, when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90, the child was born. And Sarah, as she held the baby in her arms, she laughed and all the people laughed with her. Everyone laughed, as I said last week, because the nursing home had been turned into a nursery. <laughs> now, notice... In these promises of a son, if you look now at chapter 17, as God makes the promise to Abraham about a son, notice what is said, verses 1 through 8 of, of our start our reading this morning. Genesis 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I, that I may make my covenant between me and you and multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant 
to be God to you and to your offspring forever. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now notice... God, as he makes this promise, and he's made the promise before of descendants and the promise before of a son, but this time he says something unique. He says in verse 6, if you'll notice, I will multiply you exceedingly and make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. Kings shall come from you. It's the promise that from Abraham will come royalty. Now, this is interesting because the family that will come from Abraham is about to prove that it's a family that's royally messed up. Turn over to Genesis chapter 25. Let's take this journey. God says royalty is coming from you. The son Isaac is born, the son of the promise. And Isaac and his wife Rebekah, Genesis 25, they have two twin boys. Esau and Jacob. And God said, the blessing of the promise would not come upon the older, Esau, but it would come upon the younger, the son Jacob. Now, as you follow Jacob, you will soon understand there was no one more undeserving of the blessing of God than Jacob. I mean, his name, Jacob, what's it mean? It means literally, he who grips the heel. He who grips from the heel. From his very birth, he was tricking people. From his very birth, he, his name means, in a sense, trickster or manipulator. And Jacob lived up to his name. He was a master. He was a master manipulator. He manipulated his brother Esau when Esau was famished. He manipulated his brother into giving him his birthright. He, he couldn't trust what God had said that he would have it. No, he manipulated his brother's time of weakness in order to grasp it. And then, not long after that, this master manipulator, along with his mother's involvement, tricks his father, who's now blind, Isaac, he tricks him into receiving the patriarchal blessing. The blessing from the hands of Abraham to the head of Isaac. And now from the hands of Isaac onto the head of Jacob. But Jacob can't trust God. He has to manipulate to receive the blessing. Now here's one thing that's clear about Jacob. He valued the blessing of God. You don't agree with his character or his methods at all, but he did value the blessing of God 
but he constantly tried to obtain it by plotting and manipulation. (laughs) He valued God's blessing, but he just couldn't rely on God's timing and God's way to carry out the blessing, so he plotted and manipulated. And God eventually... If you look over at chapter 32, we're making this journey. In chapter 32, God literally has to wrestle Jacob to the ground. Now, you want to read about a wrestling match. We won't cover it today. But there's nothing on pay-per-view like this, okay? A wrestling match between God incarnate form and Jacob. And why does God wrestle with Jacob? He wrestles with him to get Jacob to a position, literally down in the dirt, holding on to the ankles of God. You get this picture? What does Jacob's name mean? He who grips the heel. All his life, though, it's met trickery and manipulation. And God gets him in a situation in his life where all he can do is hold on to the heels of Almighty God. No more manipulation. No more tricky. What did he have to do? I won't let you go until you bless me. That's what God had been promising all his life. But he had to get Jacob face down in the dirt to recognize this lesson. The blessing of God is not obtained by plotting. The blessing of God is obtained by pleading and prayer and clinging to God and hanging on to God. That's a lesson that should come down to all of us. As followers of the Lord. If we want the blessing of God. It's not by carrying out our bright idea. Our plot. But it's pleading. And holding on to God. And asking for his blessing. Look at Genesis chapter 35. God reaffirms the covenant. He reaffirms the promises. Made to Abraham and Isaac with now Jacob. Genesis 35, God reaffirms the covenant promise. Here's the promise. You'll recognize it. Verse 9 and following. Genesis 39, verse 9. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Pandanaram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob no longer. Your name is shall not be called Jacob, but Israel. Shall your name be... So he called his name Israel, which has the idea of someone who is strong with God or a prince with God. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply a nation and a company of nations shall come from you and kings note that again kings shall come from your own body the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you and I will give 
the land to your offspring after you. Then the Lord God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken to him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. And Jacob called the place where God had spoken with him Bethel, the house of God. The house of God. This is where Abraham had first pitched his tent when he came into the promised land. Now here is God meeting with his grandson that he has chosen by his grace, made him to know him, and he brings a blessing upon Jacob. And notice what the promise, part of the promise was, verse 11, he says, I will make you a nation and a company of nations. Kings shall come from you. The promise of the son, remember, to Adam and Eve, a child, a son is coming. Now it's a promise of kings, kings that are coming. The promise of God, speaking about the promise of a son who will be a king is this bright thread that runs through this dark tapestry of this family. And it's a dark tapestry. It's a dysfunctional family. I've never met anybody who, if they really got honest about their family, wouldn't say, it's dysfunctional. (laughs) Yeah, we're really messed up. I mean, but this is a dysfunctional family. And isn't it wonderful that God doesn't need Mary Poppins kind of families? Practically perfect in every way. No, he takes us the bad news bears. And makes us the the vehicles of his goodness and kindness. Why? Because he's a God of grace. And this this is the story. How can God bless people like this? Well, folks, look around. God's never had anything but sinners to work with. He's just that kind of God. Gracious and merciful. Now, just how dysfunctional was this family? Well, look at chapter 37. It's it's quite dysfunctional. When Jacob's sons slave trafficked their own brother, Joseph. I would say that's fairly dysfunctional family. Jacob's sons are filled with hatred over this special son. Devoted to the father, the father devoted to him. Has the coat of many colors. You know the story. And so they decide to rid themselves of this one. They cannot stand his visions. And they cannot stand this relationship he has with dad. And so they slave traffic him. Into Egypt. Now where's God? 
when you are 17 years of age and you are slave trafficked, where is God? God's all over this. God's not the author of the sin, but God is sovereign. And he takes Joseph's tragic experience and he turns it into a prequel for the gospel. What does he do? He sends a young man down into Egypt. The young man is the beloved son of the father. And the beloved son is rejected by his brothers. But the beloved son who is rejected by his brothers becomes the savior of his brothers and their family. You see the gospel here? The gospel Joseph, through God's sovereignty, becomes the prince of Egypt. He's slave trafficked by his brothers. He is sold as a slave to Potiphar. He's falsely accused of sexual assault by Potiphar's wife. He's put into prison. He helps people in prison. They get out and forget about him. And finally, after 13 years, at the age of 30, someone remembers that he has this gift of interpreting dreams. And he is brought before Pharaoh. He interprets those dreams... A famine comes just as he said it was going to happen. And who comes to Egypt looking for food? His brothers who slave trafficked him. But God has given him an understanding. How does he have an understanding? He has an understanding because He knows the story. He remembers the story. He learned from his father Jacob. And his father Jacob learned it from his father Isaac. And Isaac learned it from his father Abraham. What was the story? The story was God said, I'm going to send your descendants into Egypt. They will be there for 400 years. And then I'll bring them back to this land. And this teenage boy finally works it out in his mind... That as unbelievable as it is, God sovereignly has sent him to be the one to save the nation. And that's the reason he can say to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. The word is taken back to his dad, who's now 130 years of age. That Joseph is alive and he's become the prince of Egypt. And his dad says, it's enough. I will see my son before I die. And he comes to Egypt and he lives 17 more years, Jacob does, in Egypt with his family in the land called the land of Goshen. After 17 years, Jacob knows that he's about to die. And the Holy Spirit puts on his heart to speak a prophecy upon each of his 12 sons. 
And so on his deathbed, at the age of 137, he gathers together his 12 sons to speak a word from God over each one of them. Look at chapter 49. This is where it happens. The sons are called to their father's bedside. And he speaks words of prophecy. But one word of prophecy he speaks is about the promise. The promise that came to him from his father. And from his father's father. And now he speaks it to one of his children. It's the promise of a king. Now remember, what's the promise? The promise has been a son. Then it became a promise of kings. Now it becomes a promise of a king. Listen to Jacob. At the age of 137, he places his hands upon the head of his son Judah. And this is what he says. Chapter 49 Verses 8 through 10. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. The word Judah means praise. Your brothers shall praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. He's going to be the leader of the family. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness who dares to rouse him. This is a song, this is a prophetic song. Then Jacob says this, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Now notice two images that Jacob prophesies upon his son Judah. It's the image of a lion. Judah, you are a lion. There will be a lion of the tribe of Judah. And there's the image of a king. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. What's the scepter a symbol of? Rule, authority, kingship. So Jacob is prophesying over his son Judah, from you will come the one who will have the scepter. He will be the ruler. He will be, you could say, the lion king. (laughs) He will be the Lion King, and the scepter is not, the rule is not going to pass from the family of Judah until he comes. Notice verse 10 says, This will not pass until tribute comes to him. Now, it's important if that is your translation in your Bible, it can also be translated this way, until he comes to whom it belongs. So what is Jacob saying over his son? He's saying, you are a lion. (laughs) 
out of you, your tribe, the lion, will come. And the scepter, the kings, are going to be of Judah until the one comes to whom the scepter truly belongs. And to him, the people will be gathered. The promise of a king coming from Judah. Now Jacob dies. He's carried and buried in the cave of Machpelah outside Hebron where Isaac is buried, where, jo where Abram is buried. For 400 years, these descendants of Jacob remain in a slavery in slavery in Egypt, but while they're there in those 400 years, they, they go from a gathering of about 75 people to 400 years later, there's about a million and a half. And these slaves are delivered out of bondage through this incredible, incredible liberation that comes through Moses. They make their way to the promised land. And in the promised land, these 12 tribes are not ruled by kings. They're ruled by judges. But then the people say they desire a king. They want a king. Like, they want to be like the other nations and have a king. And so they choose to be their king, Saul. He's not of the tribe of Judah. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. But he's the people's choice. I mean, look at him. He looks, he looks good on television. He's tall. Looks good in a uniform. But they find out this king is in his heart paranoid. A man of fear and weak character. And a man who in pressure, disobeys his God. And God rejects King Saul, we're told, in 1 Samuel chapter 15. This is where we've traveled to now in the passing of the years. 1 Samuel, if you'll turn there, God rejects Saul and he sends his priest, who's also a judge, the priest judge, Samuel, God sends Samuel, who's now an old man, to go find the king of Israel. And where does he tell him to go? Tells him to go to Bethlehem. To the household of Jesse. Now think about this. Isn't this something in the Old Testament a wise man seeking the king of Jews in Bethlehem. Is God awesome or what? And so he sent to the family of Jesse. And here's what happens. Chapter 16, verses, beginning verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil. Go, I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself. 
a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded, came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves. Come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they came, he looked upon Eliab and thought, Surely... The Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, listen carefully, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And then Jesse called Abinadab, made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither is the Lord chosen this one then Jesse made Shammah pass by he said neither is the Lord chosen this one and Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel and Samuel said to Jesse the Lord has not chosen these then Samuel said to Jesse are all of your sons here and he said well there remains yet the youngest but behold he's keeping sheep And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he, this is David, was ruddy, had beautiful eyes, and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. And from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now notice, God sends his judge priest, Samuel, to Bethlehem to a particular family, the family of Jesse, who has eight sons. But it's not the one anyone would have chosen God doesn't choose, and he doesn't see as other men see. And it's the least likely, not the most likely. It's the overlooked son. It's the son that no one takes notice of. Just send him out to take care of the sheep. That's the one God sees, and God chooses. David was overlooked and unnoticed but he was chosen by God well you know the story of David many of you in time David defeats the Philistines he succeeds Saul to be king and David is the one who unites the 12 tribes into a nation he unites the 12 tribes into a nation And David desires that they would be united, not just around him, but they would be united around the worship of the one true God, Jehovah, 
And he thinks about the ark. Has the ark brought to Jerusalem? But then he says, how can it be that I sit here in a palace and the ark of my God, the symbolic presence of the Lord with his people, it's in a, an old weather-beaten tent. And I, I will build a house for my God. He bounces the idea off Nathan, the great prophet. Nathan says, that's a great plan. Go for it. And in response to what David plans to do, God shares with David the promise. The promise that's come from Adam and Eve, from Seth, to Noah, to Shem, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Judah to the house of Jesse, now to David, the promise. The promise is made to a king. What is the promise? It's the promise of the covenant. The covenant promise passes to this young king, David. Let's look at it. It was read earlier. Look, if you would, 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Here's what happened. 2 Samuel 7, but that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. 2 Samuel 7, 7. In the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you might be prince over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies before you. I will make for you a great name. Like the name of the great ones on the earth. I will appoint a place for my people Israel. I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall Afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you, the Lord will make you a house. You want to make me a house? Well, here's what I want you to know. I'm going to make you a house. But it's a different kind of house. When your days are fulfilled... And you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up from your offspring after you those who shall come out of your body. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. There's one coming from 
King David of the tribe of Judah. There's one coming from all the kings that will come from David. There's one who will be the ultimate king. And he will establish a kingdom. And of that kingdom there will be no end. God's promise. There's a son who will be a king. There is a son king who will reign forever. And for a thousand years that promise lasted. The promise of a son king. The promise endured in the affliction of God's people. The people of Israel endured. They endured and they waited. That's what Advent's about. They awaited. They awaited the promised son of David. Who would establish a kingdom that would last forever. And after a thousand years of waiting. A teenage girl is going about her daily life in a small town in Galilee called Nazareth. And after a thousand years, Gabriel, the messenger angel, is sent. And he comes with a startling promise to a teenage girl who is a virgin. And what is the promise? It is the promise of the king. The promise of the Son King. Let's bring this promise to our celebration this month. Look at Luke chapter 1. A thousand years pass. Luke chapter 1 verse 26. In the sixth month. That's the sixth month of pregnancy of Elizabeth the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph he's of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary and he came to her and said greetings O favored one the Lord is with you But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name. Say it, church. Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. And his uh, his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. 
And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The promise of the king. All the way it comes to this moment. The promise of the ages. The promise made to Adam and Eve of a son. The son has come. The son of the miraculous birth. The son promised. The son of Adam. The son of Seth. The son of Noah. The son of Shem. The son of Abraham. The son of Isaac. The son of Jacob. The son of Judah. The son of David. The son of Mary. The son of God. That's the promise. Now, that's quite a journey, isn't it? And I've thought this week, how does this apply to us? Well, number one, it applies just to lead us in worship, doesn't it? You know, it's an amazing thing when you start to recognize the world doesn't revolve around you. It's all about God. And that's a good thing. What a mess if it really was about us. But how, how shall we apply this? How shall we apply this? And I thought about it. And I thought of something that the king said. You know, the king finally arrived. The miraculous sun king. Jesus. And I thought of something that he said to his disciples. And you may remember from our study in Luke a few months ago. Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Here's what the king said. Now listen carefully. Fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure... To give you what? The kingdom. Now let that sink in. The Son of God came. The Son King came to earth to do what? To save us and then to share the kingdom with us. To share the kingdom. To share the kingdom. To keep it for himself. To make us slaves. To keep us under his thumb. To be pawns on a cosmic chessboard. Nothing makes sense. Nothing matters. No. The God who sent his son. Sent him to be the Lord of a kingdom. But a kingdom not of this world. But a kingdom, a kingdom with a king, an everlasting kingdom made up of everyone who believes in the king 
And they are not just servants of the king. They are heirs of God and joint heirs with the king. And will rule and reign with him forever and ever. You say, Sam, what does that mean? How should I know? I'm just quoting the Bible. When, when you don't know, quote the Bible. Whatever it is, it's out of this world. We will share the reign of the kingdom with the Sun King forever. And it is a free gift. You can't earn this. You can't enter the kingdom without being born in the kingdom. You've got to be born again. And Jesus came and died in your place. He took your sins, paid in full your debt. He rose from the dead and he is alive. And all who come to the Father by him are saved. And enter his kingdom and become part of his forever family. It's a free gift bought and paid for by the Son King. My friend, listen. You don't want to miss this. The kingdom of light. A free gift. The kingdom is enjoyed by trust. Listen to me, church. Listen, folks in the hub and some of you online. You only enjoy the king kingdom. You may be in the kingdom, but you only enjoy it by trust. I want to ask you a question. How are you responding to the king's promise of his great love and mercy? Are you like Jacob wrestling? Or are you like David? And you know what? How did, God re- how did David respond when God told him, I'm going to make you a house? And from you is going to come one who's king forever. How would you respond? You know what the Bible says of David? He just sat down. Right? He just sat down. And said, oh Lord, how can it be? But let it be according to your word. You see, that's the problem. Some people are in the family of God's great promise. And they're still manipulating. They're still trying to do it on their own and they're never quite sure and they're just quite downright miserable because they can't rest secure in the love of a God who would spare not his own son and through him say fear not little flock it's the father's pleasure To give you the kingdom. You don't have to earn it. It's the Father's pleasure. To give it to you. Stop trying to earn the Father's love. And just sit down. Worship him. And enjoy it. Father. We bless your name. Lord, I don't understand a fraction of what I've preached today. But I believe it with all my heart. And I exult in it. For the love 
of God for such a sinner as me. Lord, help us not to wrestle. Help us to rest. Help us to rest in Christ. Rest in love. Help us to put our fists down and let you wrap your arms around us and show us a life that we could never imagine. And a peace that's beyond expression. Lord, may our heart just be, as we sing now of the great King, that we say, come, come, fountain of life, come, King, refresh and rule in my heart and make me truly one who rests in the promise of the Son King and His kingdom and life with Him forevermore. I pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. Amen.